0: Hey everybody, you're listening to the Way Family Church Summer Podcast. We'd love for you to join us in person. Over the summer, we'll be gathering at the Little Town Community Center, just down the road from Lawford Middle School. We hope to see you soon. Amen. Hey man, go ahead and grab your seat and open your Bibles to 2 John. We are done with Acts. We're not doing Acts today. <laughs> Unless you guys want to start all over. Second <laughs> John. Uh, we're going to do the entire book of 2 John, which is actually just a letter, right? And if you want to take a closer look at it, it's more of a postcard. All right, so don't worry. Doing all of 2 John is not going to be that that, that long. <laughs> it's a short one. So 2 John, and uh, the title of the sermon today is going to be Truth and Love Together. Truth and Love Together. What is truth? What is love? You think about that question, what is truth? I would say that that is actually a harder question to answer for some, because truth has just become very subjective nowadays. But what is truth? You know, this is the great question that Pontius Pilate asked Jesus. When Jesus was being tried by Pontius Pilate, he asked, what is truth, right? And so that's a good question for us to ask. Another good question for us to ask is what is love? Because again, the day and age that we live in right now, that's also been skewed, the definition of love. And so as Christians, we need to have a firm understanding of what truth is and what love is. You know, according to the culture that we live here today, those two are incompatible. If you think about what it means to be truthful or honest and what it means to love someone else, if you, if you kind of just look at it through the lens of the world, it almost seems that the loving thing to do is sometimes lie to someone, right? Like for example, if, uh, if someone just looks hideous in that dress, you know, the, you, you would say that the, the, the nice and loving thing to do is to say, you look nice. But would that be honest? Would that be truthful? No, and therefore that is not loving, right? So even though you intend to be loving, you're being hateful in a sense, dishonest. And so truth and love go together according to the Christian worldview, according to the Word of God, according to the Scripture. Now, it's kind of hard to put that together, really, on a day-to-day basis. But this is why 2 John is so important, because this is what he brings in. This is what we're going to talk about today. This is what we're going to dive into. But first, I want to share a quote from from uh, Eddie Cantor. He's a he was a comedian in the 50s. Some of you guys might know who the guy was. I looked him up briefly, but he said something that I thought was interesting. He said, truth or tact? Tact is to be agreeable, right? To be kind, in a sense. So truth or tact, you have to choose. Most times, they're not compatible. Hmm. Kind of like that example, you know, if you want to be truthful, sometimes, uh, it's like, almost like truth is hard. You know, that quote, you can't handle the truth because it's ugly sometimes, you know, like, because you don't want to say it because you don't want to go there. And so what you do is you kind of sweep it under the rug. Because your intention is to be kind and loving. But see, being kind and being loving is not even the same thing. Yeah, they go hand in hand. It's kind of like joyfulness and happiness, but it's different. So you see how sometimes truth can be in odds with love, again, depending on how we define these words. And then here's uh, a, a counselor who was a psychologist. His name is Alfred Adler. He says this. The truth is a terrible weapon of aggression. It is possible to lie or even to murder for the truth. Hmm, Think about that one. The truth is a terrible weapon of aggression. It is possible to lie or even to murder for the truth. Some people will do whatever it takes to get to the bottom of the truth, right? And some people will do whatever it takes to hide the truth, to keep it buried under the ground. Hmm, interesting. And so what truth can do sometimes, it can bring out the worst of us, can it not? And so maybe this is why John's bringing it up. And this is something that as Christians, we need to be very familiar with these kind of instructions. We need to be very crystal clear on what truth is, what love is, and how to live both of them, because they go together. They they do not go apart. And so let's do our best to take truth and love, and bring it together, and not to assume that by being loving, we can fib, we can lie, we can exaggerate something, we can kind of not mention the full truth, and let us not think that it is unloving, right, to to say the harshness that sometimes truth can be, but truth doesn't have to be harsh, okay? Truth can be as loving as love is, and so it kind of just goes like that, and we'll see it more and more. So here's what I want to do. What I want to do is uh, go through this passage and we're going to look at something and we're going to actually try to kind of challenge ourselves because, believe it or not, some of us are more inclined to truth and some of us are more inclined to love, okay. I'll use my household for for an example, as an example. My wife tends to be more of the rule follower. So in that regard, she becomes sometimes more of the disciplinarian, right. I tend to be more of that lenient kind of guy. You know what I mean? So there's the rules, they're set in stone. And so mom has no problem saying, hey, because that's the rule, you know? And then there's me. I'm not, tell- I'm not saying that what I do is great, okay? Don't, don't, don't be like me in this regard. Yeah, it's okay. You know, kind of being, you're, you're lenient and so you come across, like for example, my, my kid, especially the littlest one, she thinks I'm just so loving because I'm so lenient sometimes. And so we, we kind of have to maybe take a step back and ask, am I more of the truth kind of person or am I more of the love kind of person, right? And, and then it actually overflows, you know, into there's individuals and then there's groups, right? So some churches are more inclined to truth and some churches are more inclined to more of love, all right? And so we have this kind of like teeter-totter kind of effect. So what is a church that is love-oriented look like as opposed to one that's truth-oriented? A love-oriented church is about fellowship, counseling, recovering, uh, uh, maybe uh, cleansing streams. Have you heard of that? Uh, soup kitchens, you know, uh, uh, like closets for homeless and that kind of thing where you can, blessing closets for the homeless, et cetera. That's a very love-oriented type of fellowship. A truth-oriented type of fellowship would be one that's into apologetics, doctrine, evangelism, and biblical preaching. Is there anything wrong with either one of those? No, right? But it could be that we hyperfocus on one thing and not the other, and it could be that we hyper-focus on the other and not the one thing, right? And so we are out of balance. But what John is wanting to say here, and we'll see it clearly, is that both are very important, and we need to do our best to do both to live in truth and to live in love, okay? Because if you're only truth-based, command-based, you create this very stressful environment, an environment that's literally impossible to find any kind of sense of joyfulness. You feel like you're never good enough and you feel like you're constantly having to work and learn, work and learn, work and learn. And if you're hyper-focused on the love side of things, you feel like everything's great. Everything is awesome, you know what I mean? And then there's nothing to work for because God's constantly just covering everything. It's like, yeah, it's okay if we're this terrible at things. God's got us. You know, there's, there's this, this unbalanced type of thing. And so what we need to do is bring it together and, and be truthful and loving all the time in everything that we do. And so with that, let's go ahead and read 2 John. It says this. The elder to the elect lady and her children... Whom I love in truth, and not only I but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us, and we will be in, in in us and will be with us forever. Verse three: Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning that we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard it from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such one is a deceiver, is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in, this, in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your like sister greet you. Love, John. All right. Okay, so let's. Let's go through this. Let's break it down a little bit. What's going on here? First of all, it says, you know what? Let me come to the Lord in prayer. I need to do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your servant John, who has just exemplified the balance of truth and love or the 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 coexistence, the the integration of both truth and love, in this letter. And I just ask Father you would help us understand it and live it out today in Jesus' name. Amen. And so We have the first thing here. Verse one, the elder to the elect lady and her children. What? What is that? Who is that? (laughs) Who is the elder and who is this lady and who are her kids? All right. Let's talk about that for a little bit. First of all, the elder. Who are we talking about uh, here? We're talking about John, the son of Zebedee, the brother of James, who was killed by the sword by Herod, the disciple of Jesus. All right. The one whom Christ loved. The one who authored the Gospel of John, he also authored 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. This is the elder that we're talking about. Why is he referring to himself as an elder? Well, because that's actually, kind of appropriate. Two reasons. One, as an apostle, he actually had the responsibilities of an elder of the church. What is an elder of a church? It's someone who keeps the flock you know, from falling. It's a teacher. It's someone who keeps leaders accountable. It's someone who's after the well-being of the flock, okay? Someone who's able to teach. Someone who's able to care for. Someone who's able to instruct. Someone who's really out for the congregation. That's an elder, And not only that, but he at this time, he's also very old. Did you know that uh, someone who's really old is an elder? All right. He is uh, this 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 letter is written in the last part of the first century. So it's he's probably in his 90s when he's writing this. John is. Did you know that he was the last living apostle? He's the one who outlived everyone else. And he actually lived to a very old age, John did. And so we have all this beautiful wisdom from John. And this is one who walked with the Lord, right? Like he knew Jesus face to face. And so everything about him is about Christ. And he learned to love, you know, the way that Christ loves us. And he understood this. And I would imagine that this was probably John's highlight, right? Because of the language that he uses constantly. It's to love one another, to love one another as Christ loved us. Christ loved us. This is constantly the message that we hear from John. This is the elder. And who is he writing to? The elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. Not only I, but also who know the truth because of the truth that it abides in us and, we will, and, we will, and will be with us forever. Now this is interesting. Ha- it almost sounds like a love letter, doesn't it? Who is this elect lady? Well, it could be that it's a local congregation. This elect lady. What does it mean to be elect? It means to be chosen, to be of the family of Christ, okay? Lady. Did you know that the church, the name for church is ecclesia, which is a feminine uh, noun? And so the church was often referred to as a lady or as a woman or as a bride right? Or as Eve. And so there's different passages, especially from John. And so we kind of gather this from his authorship that he is most likely referring to the church. All right. So the elect lady is the church and who are her children? The congregants. Do you see that? Now, some people argue that the reason why John used this language was really because of the persecution of the church, that this was kind of like alias, code name. That may or may not be the case. That's just a theory. Or it could be that he's literally talking to a lady, okay, and her children. Regardless, the message for us is the same. Regardless of who is addressing this, we, this is still for us. This is still for us to understand, because if you are elect, that means that you are part of the body of Christ. That means that you are Christian. That means that you're part of the church, okay? So this applies to all of us, regardless of who it actually is written to. But I'm convinced that he is writing to a church. Why am I convinced? Because at the very last verse, verse 13, it says, the children of your elect sister greet you. All right. That's very much church language. All right, he's saying your your sister greets you, the church sister, kind of like that. So, I'm kind I'm really convinced that he's talking to a church. So, this is where we are. And then he says, "Whom I love in truth." And that's important because he's just saying whom I love. If he said whom I love, it'd be very weird. It'd be that that'd be a love letter right there. But he says whom I love in truth. That means Jesus. What is truth? Going back to the question. Jesus is truth. The word is truth. The word of God is truth, right? he loves this congregation through Jesus, by Jesus, all right? And he says, not only I, but also all who know Jesus, who know the truth, because of the truth, we can say because of Jesus, that abides in us and will be with us forever, all right? And so this is just a greeting, guys. We're only at the greeting for uh, right now. And then he says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from Jesus, or from God the Father, and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. This screening is very important because of what he goes into. And so he's saying it's important for us to love one another both in truth and in love. We see here that the apostle is suggesting that the both are not at odds. In fact, they're complementary. Okay? So let's keep going. Walking in truth and love. And so as we go through this, I want to point out three different things. Uh, One, that walking in truth and love is first and foremost a command from God. We also see how it's exemplified by the elder in case you wanted a practical way. Okay, how do I walk in truth and love? And then finally, we see that truth and love is carried out through obedience. All right, you have to be obedient to the word of God to be able to, to carry your life out or to carry your ministry out in truth and love. Those are the three main points that we want to look at as we see this passage. So first, walking in truth and love is a commandment by God. We'll see that between verses 4 and 6. So walking in truth, it says, I rejoice greatly to find some, not all, it says some of you or some of your children walking in the truth. That means that some of the people who declare themselves to be Christians are walking in the truth. They're actually abiding in the word of God and they're living it out. Not all, okay? And that's very important for us to recognize because he will address the others but some of them are walking in truth just as you were commanded by the Father. There it is. Walking in truth and love is a command by God. It's commanded by God. You don't have a choice. If we're commanded to love one another, we are to love one another. If you have a hard time loving your neighbor as yourself, there's work to be done. We have to figure that out, okay, because there's no other way around it. Just as rejoicing is a command, all right? That means We have to rejoice, we have to love one another, and then there's other things that were commanded. So it is commanded by the Father, verse five, and now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, this is not new news, but one that we have found from the beginning, that we love one another. Now, he's actually talking about when Jesus said, in John 15, 12, he wrote it. Jesus says this, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you, you know, we see references of this kind of love throughout the scripture for husbands. We see that we ought to love our wives the way Christ loves the church. You know, we see that, you know, that, that we need to care for one another. We need to have compassion. We need to be selfless for the sake of one another. And this is what he's saying is that, hey, you guys are walking in truth, but you need to walk in love as well. Hmm. Maybe the people that he interacted with kind of triggered this. Maybe they're the ones who inspired him to write this letter to that congregation. Maybe he saw that some people were really, really heavily into the truth, right? Which is a good thing. You can't, you can't point your finger and say that's awful, but maybe they lacked something and maybe that was love. And so he says that the, this is the command from the beginning that we ought to love one another. And, and then he defines love in verse 6. He says, and this is love that we walk according to his commandments says, this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Okay. So this is what he's saying. We need to follow the commandments, stick to the truth, and then love. And this is love, that you follow the commandments. And so if you follow the commandments, that means that you're being loving to one another. And if you're being loving to one another, then you're following the commandments. So you see how important it is And so it's walking according to God's commandments, loving one another, and so on and so forth. So if you're walking according to the commandments, that means that you're diving to God's word and you're understanding what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is to love, have love for one another. In fact, we see that we will, Christ says, you will know that, they will know that they are my disciples, that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. All right, and so you see how it works? So we have truth and love, not at odds, but they're complemented. They're important. They're, in fact, they're pivotal for the Christian life. This is what John is saying. And then the next thing we see is that how, ex, how John exemplifies this. And so let's look how, how he himself exemplifies love. Notice in verse 4, he says, I rejoice greatly to find some of you walking children just as you were commanded by the Father. And then in verse 5, he says, and now I ask you, dear lady, is, is, is John coming out and saying, hey, You guys are terrible. You guys are wrong. You guys need to be more loving. No, he's saying, now I ask you, dear lady, you know, there's a lot of language of just compassion and kindness and love. He's very gentle there. Do you see that the way he's communicating? He's exemplifying exactly what he's saying. And so we ought to also exemplify that. Now, I love what uh, Proverbs 1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so we see this exemplified by John that he's using kind words, gentle words, because you're more inclined to hear that. You know, like if I approach you and if I'm trying to tell you something in a loving way, like for example, hey, you got a little snot on your face, you know, just for the sake of example. You know, that's, that's like, oh, okay, thank you, you know. Instead of, oh, you got boogers on your face. You know, that's not loving. All right, so there's a way to talk people. There's a way to confront people too. And there could be that someone is just in the wrong. Someone's out of line. And so how do you do that? You confront them with love and kindness. Why? Because it's not about what you can gain. And this is what we see from John. He's not after self-gain here. There's nothing that he's gaining from this. He wants them to love one another. It's for their good, right? And so when we confront someone who's out of bounds, who's out of the truth, right? We want to confront them in love. Why? Because it's good for them ultimately. Not because you're trying to get something out of it. And so you confront them in a way that's understandable, that's kind, that's loving, that's compassion, compassionate, okay? And that's just not like, because how many times? I mean, for those of us who are married, for those who have, who have friends, for those of us who have any, any kind of relationship with anybody, there are moments where our friends or our partners or our spouses say things at us that is just completely ineffective, right? Because of how they say it right? And so this is what John is exemplifying it. And then what I love about how he's exemplifying is in, in verse seven, the tune changes. We have this lovey-dovey letter, and then it's like, ah, Wait a minute. What are we going to talk about now? Because John loves this congregation, because he loves the church, he's going to warn them about something. He has a concern. And because he loves them, he wants them to be aware of that concern. Remember that, hey, they're kind of out of bounds. We need to get them back in there. John's about to express that to this church. He's about to tell them a pretty hard thing. But he's going to tell them in a way that makes sense. It's loving, it's kind, and it makes you want to respond. So what is he going to say to them? So he exemplifies this by just telling them outright, this is the truth. I love you, so I'm going to tell you the truth, okay? And it says in verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out in the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such one is a deceiver and the antichrist. Whoa, okay, hold on. We just changed tunes here. This is a whole different song it seems like right like at first it was really encouraging was great and now he's warning us that there are deceivers out there what is this what is a deceiver those are people who deny the coming of the messiah in the flesh people who said yeah jesus didn't really actually come or god really didn't actually take on flesh it's a great story and it's more of an allegory or whatnot but that never actually happened do you know what that means if that never actually happened That means that we never had our our, our sins atoned for. And so that's actually a really big deal that, that Christ came in the flesh. And so this is what John is addressing. He's like, hey, yes, he did. Guess what? I walked with him. I talked with him. I learned from him. I saw him. This John was the only one who was there when Jesus was crucified. All right. And he's the one who also witnessed him resurrected in in the flesh. And so John knows truth. And when you know truth and when you know that you saw what you saw, there's nothing that's going to hold you back from that. Right. We saw that with those those guards that were guarding the tomb. Remember in Easter, you know, like some of them just they, they couldn't they couldn't believe what they saw. Like they're witnessing this resurrected body, this resurrected Jesus. Right. And and then they're being bribed to suppress this. No, this is the truth. Do not allow yourselves to be deceived. Yes, Jesus took on flesh. And yes, it's important. And this is why I'm telling you is because I love you. Because if you reject this, then you're missing it. You're missing the gospel. And I don't want you to miss the gospel is what John's saying. I want you to have it. I want you to have that salvation that that Christ provided. Like that wasn't an easy debt to pay. Do you see that? Don't make little of what, what Christ has done. Yes, he came in the flesh. Yes, he died for you. Do not be deceived. He says, one of these, deceiv- these, these deceivers, these people who speak like this, he calls them the Antichrist. This is language you're going to hear in Revelation. All right? Again, authored by John. What is the Antichrist? Or what is an Antichrist? It's someone who denies the fully human and fully divine nature of Jesus and instead teaches a false jesus is not just someone who denies it but someone who teaches against it okay that's a dangerous person it's one thing to to think something it's another thing to to say it to preach it to teach it right and so this is the warning this is the concern that john has for the people and so he says in verse 8 watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for but that you may win a full reward what is he saying here he's saying we that we may not lose what we worked for, and some manuscripts says that you may not lose what you worked for. What is he talking about? What are we working for? Our salvation? No, that's not what John is implying. We're not. He's not implying that we worked for our salvation. What he's saying is that the apostles, the church leaders, the disciples, the elders of the church, they have worked to establish churches. They have worked to evangelize and to bring people to the understanding of Christ is. So don't let these deceivers take away what you have worked for, is what he's saying, what we have worked for so hard, but that we may win the full reward. So he, again, he's not suggesting that we achieve our own salvation, but instead that we should be witnesses to the work of salvation. And that's life eternal with Christ. That's the full reward. Let's, he doesn't want them to miss out on that. This is, do you see this expression of love? Do you see that? And he's what is, he, what is he doing in love? He's speaking truth. He's saying, hey, this is the reality. Don't be deceived by it. And so it says in verse 9, and, and guys, this one, whew, this one's interesting. He says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ goes on ahead. Some translation says, and anyone who progresses. That is progressive language. All right. So anyone who is progressive and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, they, they are not of the Father. What does that mean to be progressive? That means that you're coming up with a new thing, a new thing, a new and fresh thing. But guess what? Canon is finalized. The work has been done. If it is not of here, it is not of God, period. And we're warned about that. And he says, those who, be careful for those who are progressive. And then I'm thinking, wow, this word is so true for now. By the way, I want you guys to know that I planned this before the beginning of the year, to do this right after Acts, okay? And I almost changed my mind about it. I just said, you know what, let's just stick to the plan. Sandy's like, just stick to the plan. Who knows? God may have a word. And here it is. And then just recently, I come across this video by some guy. Unfortunately, he has the same name I do. His name is Brandon Roberts, I believe. And he says, did you know that Jesus helped his friend come out? Meaning like come out, like as, as, in, as in that kind of stuff? Yeah, exactly. And, and I'm thinking, what, what passage is he going to use to argue that? And I'm listening, like what on earth is he going to say? He says, did you know that Jesus helped his friend come out? In the gospel, we see that his friend Lazarus, was bound and he says, "Lazarus, come out!" I'm thinking that's not what that's about. That is so progressive that it totally misses the point. We're talking about resurrection. We're not talking about anything else there, and so we can't progress the message into anything else because that's unbiblical. Do you see what happens? That person does not abide in the word, obviously, because if he that person abided in the word, they would know that that's what that passage is not about and it's totally about resurrection and the power that christ has and the compassion that he has for his friends right this is a problem to progress in a way that's outside of the word of god and this is the warning that john has for his people for his friends for those whom he loves in truth in christ jesus and so it says everyone who progresses who goes ahead and does not abide in the teaching of christ does not have god Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him in your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part of this wicked place. So what does that mean? So if someone's not a believer in Jesus, does that mean you don't say hi to them? I mean, is that what this is saying? Well, no, that's not what it means, because how could you know that, right? If someone's an unbeliever that doesn't mean that you don't give them a greeting this greeting that we're talking about is is more than that it's it's um it's to uh it's to involve an extended hospitality so uh, an extended hospitality that would create an impression that you approve of that or that you endorse it, but not just someone who believes differently. So if you have a friend, a family member, who perhaps just has a different religion or a different doctrine, let's say, or a different theology, that doesn't mean that you, give them, you don't give them a greeting. But what it's saying is, these people who teach false doctrine, you don't take those in. So there's a time where, yes, we need to love one another, right? And there's a time, like for example, this pulpit. The only reason why I'm up here today is to proclaim the word of God. And not my own teachings, not my own philosophies, but what the Word says, okay? That's the whole purpose of me standing here. And anybody who comes up here and teaches otherwise is a false teacher, right? If we open, if, we, if, we're, te- if we're taught something that's not biblical, that's who you do not bring in. That's where you draw the line. When someone is teaching, you say, no. If someone's proclaiming something, you say, no. So it doesn't mean that you can't say hello, all right? But it does mean that you guard what you bring in, right? You guard what you allow to teach. And so finally, we see this farewell address or, or this uh, final greetings, and it says this, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk to you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your like sister greet you. And I like to say, love, John. <laughs> All right. So do you see this? Do you see this, how, how truth and love, it's very important. It needs to happen together. And so what are our takeaways? The first one is that real Christianity involves love. All right? If you're not a loving person and you call yourself a Christian, we got some work to do. All right? That doesn't mean that love comes instinctively and natural. That's something that we work towards, okay? We have to learn to love one another. That is a pretty much requirement for every Christian is that you love. So real Christianity involves love. Christian means to be Christ-like. Did you know that? John 13, 34 through 35 says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, says Jesus, you also are to love one another. So if you are a Christian, if you are like Jesus, you have to love the way Jesus has. By this, it says, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. All right. And so that question is, well, then what is love? How do I know if I have love for one another? First Corinthians 13, four through eight. You've seen this before. Love is patient. Are you patient with people? Hmm. Love is kind. Are you kind to people? It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Hmm. This is just a good litmus test right here. Like, is this me in any way? Am I being loving or am I not? Verse 6, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Hmm, we have to know the truth. And that's what brings us rejoicing, right? Love rejoices with what is true. Seven, love bears all things. It believes all things, hopes all things, it endures all things, and then we see that it never ends. So there is not a point where you can say, yeah, I'm I'm out, I'm done. No, that's not loving, all right? So real Christianity involves love, got it? Second takeaway, real Christianity involves truth. Well, obviously, right? <laughs> so it involves truth. What is truth? Truth is what is real. That's the best definition you can give a child. What is truth? Truth is literally what is real. All right? Not what's made up. Not it's what's perceived. It is what it is. Whether you like it or not, truth stands. It is not subjective. It is objective. It is just what it's real john 17 17 says this sanctify them in the truth your word is truth god's word is truth this is real this is it this is the fundamental principles of moral and ethics here in the united states everything began here this is how we know right from wrong because of this and so if you say something is right but the bible says that it's wrong guess what you're wrong and this is right. And so this is how we find out what truth is. It's all written here, and I'm going to be honest with you, it doesn't care about your feelings, all right? It just is. Blue is blue, regardless of whether you want it to be purple. It just is, all right? That's the way truth works. Now, does that mean that we have to be mean and hostile? No, let's go back to this letter right? We need to be kind. We need to be loving. See how truth can sometimes be kind of aggressive, but a Christian brings it in, ties it together, and makes it sweet, and it's good. This is how relationships last forever. This is how spouses do well with one another, with truth and love. No lying, no making up things, no softening things up. You know, I want to say this. To this day, I don't think my wife has ever lied to me. I really don't. I really don't think that she has kept something for me. And it, it just, I have that full confidence in that. And like, like that, you know, this is just a good expression of how God behaves towards us. He does not lie to us. He upholds us with truth and love. And that's the way we need to be able to articulate to everyone. See, if we don't know what the word of God has commanded for us, and when if we don't know his will, then we cannot love. We cannot genuinely love. And so we make up our own rendition of love and it ends up being some kind of form of truth, right? And then therefore ends up being something other than love. So this new form of truth, let's say, which is subjective, is not actually loving. True love is grounded and it's fundamentally based off of the truth of the word, period. That's just the way it is. And even if, you are not a non, if you're a non-believer, test that. Exercise the, the principles of the, the Bible and be loving in that way, and you'll see the result. Why? Because this is what defines good versus evil. Got it? First John 3 to 18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Don't just say you're loving. Don't just say, Hey, I love you. Right? No. Show it. Like that's the best, that's the best I could do for my wife is actually show her that I love her, not just tell her that, right? Because it's easy to say, yeah, I love you. Sometimes it becomes so routine that we don't even think about it. We just say it. But when we actually show it, when we actually express it, that's true love, right? Then that matters. That's important. So I love what Matthew seven, fifteen says. If you want to turn there really quick. Um, this is kind of just something that popped into my head right now, but I think it's important. Matthew seven, when he's after the Sermon on the Mount he's giving instruction. He's, he's actually, I think this is still part of the Sermon on the Mount, a tree and a tree. He says in verse 15 of chapter seven, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So we need to, we need to care for the truth. It's important. The truth is important for us. We need to do is uphold it with any means possible. When, remember when we had our guest speaker, Jamie Doral, he said one thing that I thought it was awesome. He said, check the Bible and make sure that I'm telling the truth. He said that. And I love that. And so does Paul and Silas when they were in Berea. the, the, The Bereans examined the scriptures to make sure that what they were proclaiming was actually biblical, was actually truth. We ought to do the same thing. Why? Because there are false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. So we need to be careful with that. That means that they're kind of undetectable unless you know the word. Do you see that? So we need to care for the truth. Real Christianity involves the truth. And again, don't undermine the truth of the hypostatic union, that meaning that Christ came in the flesh, that he was truly God and truly man. That is truth. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration with how truth and love works. Just a final illustration. I think the kids will probably help. It'll help the kids understand this, okay? Uh, My wife and I recently went on a trip to Pine, Arizona. Beautiful spot. We had an idea of what we were going into, but we had no idea what it was actually like because we had never been, right? So what did we need to get there? We needed a GPS, I needed a map. There's no way I was gonna get there on my own. I'm unfamiliar with the area, I've never been there before, map. Truth is like that map, okay? We have it, we know what's right. We know how to get, it, how, how to get us there, okay? But without fuel, which is like love, it's not actually gonna motivate us or give us the power and the energy to get us there. So see how having just truth alone is great, it's good, but what are you gonna do with it? It's not gonna get you anywhere. But fuel that puts you in a car, that's what actually is gonna energize the car to get you to your destination. So truth and love kind of go hand in hand that way. Does that help? So let me get back. Truth is like the map, tells us how to get to our destination. Love is like the fuel that help us actually go. Truth tells us where we're going or what we're going for. Love gives us the motivation to get there. It's like that. You guys get that? We need both. It's important. Truth is a prerequisite of godly love because mere approval is not love. Yeah? Mere approval is just not loving. I like your shirt. It's nice. Not. Right? I didn't mean that. I looked at you, someone, but I didn't actually mean that. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Third third takeaway, and I don't know if you caught this, but to me it was like, wow, this is important. There's a time to write and a time to talk, all right? Look at verse 12, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I would hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. You know, there's a time where writing something or typing something out is a good idea, right? What, what happens when you write something down? You can read it, you can think about it, and you can discern, is this really what I want to say? Yeah, this is what I want to say. Send, right? But when you're having a face-to-face, you may have a slip-up. <laughs> You said what you said and you're going to have to like correct it when you get an opportunity, right? You don't have the time to process like you do when you're writing. But when you're face to face, you can also express the love or the compassion or the emotion that we have for one another, right? You can feel me. So even if I have a verbal slip up, let's say, you know where I'm coming from because we're face-to-face, right? So there's a time where we need to write, where we really need to think about, okay, this is important, this is something that we need to be able to refer to later, like this warning and message and concern that Paul, or that John had for the church. And then there's other things that he wanted to say, but face-to-face, why? So that our love can be made, or that our joy can be made complete. So if you're just a soul texter, I'm telling you, you need to get out there and have some face-to-face every once in a while. All right. And if you're just a face to face kind of person like I tend to be, sometimes it's good to write things out and process them slower. All right. (laughs) It's a good learning lesson for all of us. But nevertheless, there's a time for talking face to face and there's a time for pen and paper to write it down. Got it. All right. So truth and love together. Do you see this? It's important. It's important for us to acknowledge Christ for who he is and because of what he has done for us. We need to exemplify that. We need to call others to follow him, to know him. Again, we said it last week, we do the proclaiming, Jesus is the saving, amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, we praise you, we give you honor and glory, we thank you for your word. Lord, help us truly understand this love that you have for us. Help us understand, Lord Jesus, The truth that you have written to us, Lord, I just ask, Father, that you would help us understand it to the degree that we're able to live it out we're able to exemplify it just as John did here. And Lord, that we're not um, too careful or too worried to just soften up the edges and not actually speak truth to one another, but that we would do it boldly, but in a loving and caring way. Why? Because you love us and because we love one another not because we're trying to gain something, not because we're trying to get anything out of anybody, but because we truly love one another. Help us be like that, Lord. Help us not be deceived by false teachers. Help us, Lord Jesus, be well-grounded in your word that we would know it. Thank you for opportunities like this where we're able to dive into your word and really just glean from it, learn from it. We love and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.